0: Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here tonight in Chicago, site of the NBA Draft Lottery uh, ahead of uh, next month's June draft. Here with the great Mike Schmitz. Mike, how are you, man? I'm good, Woj. Fun night. You know,
1: Orlando Magic, the big winners. Uh, yeah, got to, got to interview Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and David Robinson all at once. So I looked like I was about five feet tall.
0: Yeah, Malike oh. Andrews, as you were interviewing them, wrote down on a piece of paper between us on the podium. He looked so small.
1: Yeah, and that's and you're tough. not you're
0: what are you six two right?
1: I put, I tweeted about it right away. I had to protect myself. <laughs> I just had a physical. You know, six one and a half barefoot.
0: So I'm calling that six two and a half. Okay. Yeah, 6'4", wingspan, plus two, so, you know. Well, listen, this is the draft lottery of the power forwards and three very different players, and, you know, we'll see how this shakes out, but certainly I think Chet Holmgren of Gonzaga, Jabari Smith of Auburn, I think the consensus is right now those are really the two players competing for number one with the Magic and, and, of course, OKC landing there. Let's talk about the draft order first. You know, in an era, in this era now of the flattening of the odds and, you know, we saw, you think of the first year, it was bonkers with New Orleans going up to one and Mm -hmm. getting uh, Zion Williamson and this looked like an old draft. According to form, you know, the teams with 14% landed in there. the Kings were the one team that jumped in and they're at number four. That'll be an interesting one to watch. That's a team that wants to be in the playoffs. They want to get better quickly. We'll get to that. But if there's any pick that might be in play, I do wonder if it's going to be that one. But Mike, let's start at the top. Orlando, who last year with two lottery picks, Jalen Suggs Mm -hmm. from Gonzaga and Franz Wagner of Mm -hmm. Michigan. Uh, Wagner was really good for them this year. Suggs had some injuries and, and had the the wrist injury, mm-hmm. he got better, I think, as the year went on. Came back later in the season. I think his best days are still ahead in the NBA. But I think Orlando had maybe a second and third best player on a team. I don't know whether we'd say third and fourth, but maybe a second and third best player. But they didn't have a they didn't have a best player yet. Mm-hmm. Dude, they, they get one here,
1: right? I think they do in a different way. You know, like, I, I'm not sure that uh, – you know, Chet Holmgren is going to be your your go-to guy right away. Not, not, not day sure. one. I don't mean right. day
0: one. I mean down right. the road with that group. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: Um, and I, I think it's – we've talked so much about, oh, the top three, the top three, the top three, and I think Paolo Bancaro has has earned that with the season that he had, no doubt about it. I think it's a top two, uh, personally. And, you know, we've talked so much, I, m- me especially, about Chet and – you know, what a dynamic prospect he is and and how intriguing he is. Um, But it's almost felt like we haven't given Jabari Smith his due as well, uh, just for the type of year he had also. I mean, some of the shots he was making are are shots you see from NBA All-Stars in terms of like pull-up threes, running off of screens at 6'10". And another guy, you go watch him before the game, he's like drenched in sweat two hours before. I mean, he has that (coughs) pro mentality. His dad played over 100 games in the NBA. Like, he is built for this. He, he's an obsessive worker, um, so I don't think you can go wrong with either guy, but there's no question they're getting franchise changers because of not just the scoring but I think what they both do on both ends like they're both tremendous defenders they both can space the floor and I like that they can both be a piece alongside the the pieces that they already have and then growing into that potential number 1 or number 2 option but yeah total total home run for the Orlando Magic and you couldn't help but smile seeing Jamal Mosley uh, up there and you know big smile on his face yeah. first year in the books last year Um, so obviously a huge night for the Magic.
0: Yeah, this is an Orlando organization that changed course a couple years ago, moved out uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, moved out um, their veteran guys, Evan Fournier, went off to Boston before he signed with the Knicks last year, and they said, we're going to rebuild. We're going to get draft picks, and here they are, and of course, Oklahoma City, and we talked about this before the draft. Listen, you can't control it. It's the bounce of the ping-pong balls. I thought there was a tremendous amount of pressure for this organization to land in at least the top three but really the top two and they get there at two because as you add talent with all these picks you know you you kind of you're going to win a little more and how many years can you shut it down on Shea Gilders Alexander who you know is one of the best young guards in the NBA we don't see as much of them as we do others because we're just not watching the thunder as much but but Josh Giddy, who came in last year uh, at number six, turned out to be a terrific player. You loved him before the draft. But Sam Presti took on this grand experiment, really. They've got 17 first-round picks over the next five years. You don't do that so that you can keep picking fifth and sixth and seventh or eighth or tenth. You know, they've got they'll have got they'll have 12 this year too. You do it because you figure you get enough cracks at it that you get to one to two, and that's where you find your franchise changer. And they got there. They got there at two. And I, I thought Sam Presti last year was out as much as any executive in the league. I'm mean, maybe somewhere out as much. I, I'm not sure anywhere out as more. He really was everywhere. I remember two two years ago, he was in the bubble for a long time. He really got a chance. That was a great environment for him to look at Jalen Green, mm-hmm. uh, look at who else were they? I'm trying Jonathan to. Kuminga. Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga, right? And so. Now I think this, for the Thunder, last year they tried to move up, tried to get up to three for Evan Mobley. I think if the Thunder had the number one pick last year, they would have taken Mobley. Mm-hmm. And he was there at three. They could not pry him out of Cleveland. And I think Oklahoma City has learned, and I think most teams learn, like every year we're gonna they're going to say, there will be teams at one, two, and three. And I'll say it because the team will tell me, hey, we're going to see what the pick is worth out mm-hmm. in the marketplace. We're going to listen. We'll see how people value it. But it is rare when somebody trades out of there. And for all the picks the Thunder have, you know, if there's a player like Kobe Altman knew what he had, Mm -hmm. I don't think Sam Presley could have offered enough to Mm -hmm. get him out. And again, it turned out great. Giddy's really, really good. But for this Oklahoma City organization and for this road they've gone down, I thought this day was as important for them as any team I can remember in recent history. And especially
1: to all that, especially if Chet Holmgren were to fall in their laps, especially. I mean, you you mentioned Evan Mobley, and it's funny, I I sat down with with Chet out in Santa Barbara, and one of the first clips I showed him was him against Evan Mobley at a USA Basketball camp that I was at in in 2019, and I, I pulled up my old notes, and basically the theme of it was not afraid of going head-to-head with Evan Mobley, going at Evan Mobley, challenging Evan Mobley, hitting the deck but getting right back up. Uh, And I saw those two kind of at the same stage of development in different environments, and obviously Chet, you know, the year after and a year younger. But I'll tell you what, Chet is farther along than Evan at the same stage. Um, You know, he's not as good of a switch defender. Um, He doesn't have as much of a projectable frame, especially in the lower body when you look at him, but he's a better shooter uh, for sure. He's a better rim protector, uh, that 7'6 wingspan. I mean, this guy is one of the more intriguing prospects I've ever seen, ever seen. And it's not just, you know, the the, the fun stuff we see, right? That he'll get the Porzingis comp or whatever it is, the threes and the blocks, like he's nasty. Like he's tough as nails, man. And, And being able to spend a couple of days around him, He's that he's there well well before his workout. He's though there well before his physical training, headphones in, locked in. He has this like maniacal work ethic that's mixed with this kind of like F U mentality, yeah. but can also like be one of the guys and talk. <laughs> it's it's a very unique blend that I've I've truly never seen in a prospect. And I can't every time I've ever seen him play, practice, any evaluation, I'm enamored by him. And like, how is this 200 pound kid like going to try and dunk on everybody and then talking and then how is he blocking everyone at the rim and then talking and he has this just fascinating wiring and then you combine it with the length and, you know, the, the shooting and, and all that. And I think he's going to be special, like, like, and not just like the best player in this draft, but like maybe like special, special, someone we talk about for Decades. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's one of these guys that I've just been been enamored with as long as I've been doing this.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. I think the cat and mouse game at one and two is gonna be fascinating yeah. because Orlando does a very good job of keeping their thoughts under wraps. I spent some time after, I think you did too, talking with Jeff Weltman, their president, John Hammond, their general manager, and then I saw Jamal Mosley afterward, you know, their head coach and who was giddy. I mean Jamal Mosley was just giddy. They all were. And you know, Orlando is an organization, I mean, they've had great success. You go back to Penny and Weber and Shaq, of course. You know the history there of Orlando landing at one, but we were already talking about the two. We were already talking about the two and three, and you know players. You know Paulo two in that conversation, but you know they were excited to start digging in. Let me ask you this, Mike Jabari Smith, when he goes in and meets with Orlando, when he goes and talks with Sam Presti in Oklahoma City, what will you find with him? What what's he like?
1: He's incredibly hardworking, like I said before. Like you're, you're gonna find a, a professional approach. Um, you know, his his dad, like I said, was a second round pick, kind of a journeyman, played just over hundred NBA games. I think was a draft pick in the CBA as well. You know, bounced around Europe a little bit. Uh, and, and anyone who has talked to people who were around his dad and, and watched his dad, they'll say that he was just ahead of his time. A little bit, um, like he was a guy who could step out and had some perimeter skill. And anytime I sit down with Jabari, I'll ask him. I'm like, Jabari, who who are you watching? You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, there's shades of like Tatum here. There's shades of maybe like Michael Porter and different things that you do. And he just kept coming back to. No, my dad showed me this. No, my this was my dad showed me. Oh, this like inside pivot face rip through. No, this was like hours and hours and hours in the gym with his dad. So he was almost like <laughs> molded to become this super polished player. And very focused, very driven, very personable, still 18 years old, you know, to do what he did. Um, you know, his reputation in high school was a little bit more like, uh, didn't play at the highest level in high school. So, you know, it wasn't playing against your Verdes and schools like that every weekend. And, and so he, I think, had a tendency to float a little bit. Uh, and I think he chose the best place to go possible because it, if you watch a game at, at Auburn, it's intense. And yeah. you watch Bruce Pearl on the sideline, he's intense. And so he landed in this situation where they brought out the best of him and he was beating his chest and, you know, sitting down in the stance and guarding. So I think they're going to see a kid who's incredibly focused, who's going to fit into any locker room and very impressed with him as a young man and a worker.
0: Didn't didn't the Auburn fans give you crap last year because you had Jabari at number two in your... Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh
1: yeah, they they. I wanted to eventually. I wanted like, hey, let's go get a beer, guys. Like these guys are (laughs) these guys are awesome. Um, yeah, they were talking trash the whole the whole time. You know that comes with the territory, but especially there, I was impressed with the enthusiasm.
0: (laughs) Houston at three, Sacramento at four. Yeah, and I think Houston's in position there. I think because if it was a different team at three who maybe had a need for a primary ball handler, we might be talking about Jaden Ivey at three. Mm -hmm. But Paolo, or if if Paolo somehow if Paolo gets a two or even one if somehow that happens, uh, Houston, it, I can see Paolo being a natural fit yeah. there, right? It fits where they are positionally. You know, Jalen Green's going to have the ball in his hands, and certainly, you know, you can see Paolo uh, complimenting him. But four, I think, is where maybe the draft's going to get really interesting because the Kings, the Kings move up there, and. You know, they've taken a run on guards, right? Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell to go along with De'Aaron Fox, and they made the decision to move Halliburton out for DeMontis Sabonis. And so now, certainly, this team's built around Fox, Sabonis, and Davion Mitchell had a good, you were a big believer in him, and he played really well, especially after the trade, and he got more of an opportunity. But the Kings want to be in the playoffs. That's their goal. Mike Brown comes in, Monty McNair's in. The last year of his deal, you know, I think they want to see improvement. I think they, they could very well be improved. I think Mike Brown will tighten them up defensively, certainly. They, they have a long way to go there. But it'll be interesting. Is that pick going to be in play? Because I think there's plenty of teams, like Washington is desperate for a point guard. Mm. You know, is Washington a team that maybe tries to get up? And, and some others. So I might generally assume Houston's taking whichever of the, those three forwards is yeah. there at three, right?
1: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Bancaro is such a talent, especially where they're at um, in kind of the infancy of the organization, at least with this new regime. You know, like you can add a guy who we talked about as a potential number one pick at, at times this year. I mean, watching Bancaro push and transition jalen green catching lobs like that's that's exciting you know it's it'd be really really hard to pass on that i th- i think defensively you know that's an area where he needs to improve and that's an area where jalen green <laughs> this past year needed to improve that's an area where alper and shangun needed to improve but the offense i mean the offensive upside of bank is as high as anyone else in the draft um there just aren't a lot of guys 6'10, 255 who can create offense like that and so in a strange way you'd almost think they're very different players but you'd almost think about how like how Denver would use like Jokic and Jamal Murray Mm -hmm. right and Jamal Murray wasn't seen as this like traditional like point guard you know and Jalen Green clearly isn't that obviously they have different strengths and weaknesses but you can play through Jokic as like a pick and roll ball handler or from the elbows and kind of ignite some of the best parts of Jamal Murray I think you could see a similar kind of tandem um, with those two and so yeah, I think Ben Carroll makes a lot of sense there. Personally, I've trended a little bit more toward Keegan Murray yep. uh, as arguably the the third best prospect in the draft. I'm not there yet, but I could see by draft night, um, you know, that being kind of my lean. And when you talk about Sacramento, man, and, and them like needing to compete now and like get a guy who can fit with these pieces, it's Keegan Murray, like
0: yeah. to a T. Yeah. Like,
1: this guy scored 24 points a game, having almost no plays called for him. And he it seems like forever they've been looking for like a big rangy wing. Um, and I just think he he would be ideal alongside Sabonis, alongside Davion Mitchell, um, De'Aaron Fox. Like he fits yep. perfectly.
0: Go through Jonathan Gavoni's mock draft that he's got up on ESPN.com. And he's got Paolo at three to Houston, Keegan Murray four to the Kings, and then Jaden Ivey at five to Detroit, which makes a lot of sense. They need a point guard. Killian Hayes, I'm not sure he's going to be that guy for them. They've drafted very well. You know, we mentioned Killian Hayes. They took in a lottery. Well, you know, you go back into the late teens where they got Sadiq Bey Mm -hmm. from Villanova, who's been, you know, had a 50-point game for them last year. Yeah,
1: and beef stew. Yeah. Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart's
0: been great. And and obviously, Kay Cunningham was everything they hoped he would be last year, and... You know, you look at that organization. I they, they played really well the last couple months, and Jaden Ivey, like he fits he fits that city to me. He fits that Pistons tradition. Big physical. Uh, you know, Troy Weaver. I know will certainly be digging uh, into him. I think that's have a hard time imagining. We talked about Pistons have cap space, and would they be in the market for you know Jalen Brunson? Mm-hmm. Who I still think probably Dallas just can't let him leave. They'll pay him. They're gonna have to, and he's gonna make he's gonna make a lot. You know, there's been all this talk about New York guys. They don't have cap space. Mm-hmm. Like they don't mm-hmm. they they don't have it. But I think Ivy at five, and then then you get down with Indiana. Let's stop there though before I get to Indiana. He's got shade and sharp. I know you've got a lot of thoughts about the the shooting guard from Kentucky who never played for Kentucky, uh, spent his year there. But let, let's stop and talk about. Ivy for a minute, Mm -hmm. what you like about him, what he brings, how you think he translates to to the NBA. I think it's a great fit with Detroit,
1: like you said, because if you draft Ivy to be your primary guy, and that's all he's going to be, like like the ball is going to be in his hands ninety nine percent of the time, and you're handing him the keys to run your offense. From what I've seen, I'm not like I think his personality type is better suited for a guy like Cade Cunningham who is like a natural leader. You know, like you see Cade at Montverde USA this season, all the guys look up to Cade Cunningham and he's a guy who's going to call over the huddle and he's going to get guys together. That Ivy's not as, that's not as much in his nature. Like he was more of a score coming up. Um, even in high school, you know, I did a sit down with him at Purdue this year and I was like talking about his pick and roll reads and all this stuff. He's like, I asked where you, did you ever play point guard in high school? He's like, I didn't even think about passing. (laughs) He's like, I was just trying to get buckets. And I think that's more in his nature. So imagine like Westbrook and Harden in Oklahoma City, right? The Troy Weaver connection, like Troy Weaver, you know, thought of as one of the guys who really pushed for Russell Westbrook. And not that Cade is Harden, but Cade is this cerebral lull you to sleep kind of guy and then if you make a mistake, I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to use my size, my IQ, my touch and Westbrook was bad out of hell. I'm, You know, yep. like getting downhill, I'm in transition. I see that with these two. Like that's Ivy. Transition, unbelievable speed. Um, You know, give me a w- runway to the rim and I'm going to rip the rim off. He's still learning like all the right reads and pace and those things. He studied Ja Morant really closely, obviously. His mother coached Ja mm-hmm. or his rookie year. I think there's a big influence there, but I think it's a good fit because I'm not sure Ivy's ready to, like, here's the ball, generate all the offense. But if he's
0: next to Cade, look out. You know, it's funny. That's an interesting one with you mentioned his his mother. She's the head coach at Notre Dame. She had been uh, in Memphis in the NBA for a year and then went back and replaced Muffet McGraw. We talk about coach's sons, guys who are coach's sons. He's a coach's son. Yes. Uh, what's that dynamic like? He told me it's. It, she's
1: been his coach. Like it's film. It's film study. It's hey. Like you should have done this. You should have done that. Like they they talk through it. And, and that was a lot of our conversation was, you know, do you study a lot of film? Who do you watch? Why? And a lot of it came back to his mom. Um, and you can really see one the influence that she had, and two the influence that him really studying John Morant had now. It's a natural comparison that we make um, just because you see some of the cadence with their moves. You know, what makes Jaw great is guys want to rally around Jaw. Jaw's got that chip on his shoulder type of guy, underrated recruit, um, bring the guys together like you see the environment in Memphis. But you can tell he studied him closely. Um, he uses that cross jab move, the way he comes off of ball screens. Um, even the shooting mechanics are a little bit similar. They're not the same player, but you can tell that his mom had a huge influence on the jaw aspect of things, and just talking to Jaden like she's his coach, yeah, and the one he watches film with, and yeah. that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Neil Ivy, she was longtime assistant at Notre Dame, went to the Grizzlies, and then back to ND when that job opened up, and and uh, you know I know that was somebody certainly, um, you know, the Pacers. I'm not sure he'll be there. For them, Hal Burton is their guy, and that's who they're, they're building around. But as an Indian, he's an Indiana kid, played at Purdue. Uh, I know that's certainly somebody they'll, they'll want to spend some time, some time around. Let's bounce around this lottery a little bit. Um, and obviously, Indiana at six, they have not been in the lottery in uh, a very long time. I mean, the last time they picked in the top— three or four was Rick Smitsen mm. from, you know. Duncan the, Dutchman. The Duncan Dutchman from uh, <laughs> from uh, Marist College in 80-something, 86. I'll we'll yeah. look it up. Um, but they've been in the playoffs and in the playoffs, and, and obviously they made a decision to to take a step back. And so I saw Rick Carlisle tonight after and, and Kevin Pritchard. And, you know, landing at six gives them a chance to, you know, to get better. And so Portland at number seven. Jonathan's got Jalen Duren from Memphis there, certainly a a center, uh, power player, very talented uh, player. This is an important draft for Portland. Uh, This is another team who they've been in the playoffs eight straight. They had been in the playoffs eight straight years until this year, and you know early on, you know using the draft to get Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and then more recently Anthony Simons who really had a breakout season this year, Nasir Little who mm-hmm. until his injury had played well for them and but they obviously want to get better fast. I mean, is that a pick that's in play? Perhaps like they're they're a little different than some of these other teams who are rebuilding. Um, you know, Indiana's obviously in a rebuild at 6, Pistons at 5, Kings sort of a perpetual rebuild at 4. But they're trying to be in the playoffs, and then three, two, one. Portland's different because Damian Lillard is on their roster, and they want to still build around Damian Lillard. And I mean, it's an uphill battle to reshape this roster and say we are a playoff team, we are a second-round Western Conference playoff team, or like whatever. wherever you're trying to get back to. So you do wonder is that pick and play perhaps is part of a bigger deal to maybe get a veteran in, but. You know the chance here to get at, you know, a Jalen Duren there, you know, an AJ Griffin, Dyson Daniels, Johnny Davis. Those are all players. I don't. They're not looking at Johnny Davis, a guard. But what do you think for Portland at seven, and 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 what makes sense there?
1: Yeah, I think you you've got to look at. You know, is the seventh player in this draft. Gonna put you over the top, or if you're trying to compete now, right? And and we all know, like historically, that's probably not the case, right? So, if it were me in that seat, I'm taking the best player available, you know, who I think is the best prospect, right? Um, And if Shaden Sharp is available, you you gotta really take a look at that. He he, he's the I know Jonathan hasn't mocked to the Pacers right now, but he's the name I keep coming back to of you know not just within NBA circles, but this is the not mystery, but the most talked about, most intriguing guy in the draft outside of some of those top three.
0: Um, and so if you were there staring me in the face at seven, like, come with me. People uh, haven't seen Sharp play. You've, you saw him in practice at Kentucky so this year, and, sh- and, and and coming up you, you prior to college, you've yes, seen Yes. So Shaden Sharp,
1: out of Canada. Uh, I go to the, almost every year, the BioSteel yes. futures game. Uh, 14, 15-year-olds, went to see him rangy you know was probably 6'4 at the time bouncy athlete um and you know didn't have much recruitment or some buzz in in canada or he wouldn't have been playing in that game um ends up coming to the states goes to dream city christian uh blows up gets a kentucky offer he ended up being the number one player in the 2022 high school class and so the number one player in the high school class is generally a top three pick right sometimes the number one pick um, he killed it at Nike YBL. I saw him in Peach Jam. NBA teams, some NBA teams were there watching him. I think like Anthony Edwards, almost, mm-hmm. um, as like a power guard wing who's really explosive and can shoot it deep and create space off the dribble. Uh, so he goes to Kentucky. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reclassify. I'm gonna enroll a, a semester early. Gets there, everyone's wondering, is he gonna play? Is he gonna play? What's going on? You know. And then he finally announces, I'm not gonna play. Right. And so we think he's just testing the waters. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And teams started coming in droves to see him. And no offense to you know Ty Ty Washington or some of the, They have good players there. But a lot of them were coming to see Shaden Sharp because they'd never seen him play. And I went to one practice where I'll just say there were maybe 12 scouts, uh, a couple GMs. And he played five on five and was the best player on the court by far. Throwing left-handed bounce passes, step-back threes. You'd watch him in warm-ups. And then you watch him do a one-on-one workout and he's should be the number one pick. So, all those things together, but we haven't seen him in a competitive setting really at all. And so, there are players in the NBA where if you put him in a one on 0 and that's all you saw, oh my God, like we're, we're taking him number one. And so, teams are trying to wrap their head around, like, what do we do with this guy? You know, because could he be the best player to come out of this draft? That's what everyone's looking for a six six shot creating explosive guard, right? He kind of fits that mold. So, I'm enamored with him, and if I were Portland or, or the Pacers, this is the point of the draft where I'm taking a big old swing.
0: This draft cycle comes after a couple years in the pandemic where people weren't getting out to evaluate. They weren't having being able to do workouts. Um, people have been able to see these players. They've been able to scout them this year. They can bring them in. They can spend time with them. We can all be at the Combine and sit down. What's your sense of just the – what happened with player evaluation for a couple of years with people not being able to be in the gym, players maybe not being able to be, not just in the lottery, but as it trickles down, what what are you seeing? Is there, is there something writing itself again now versus what, how everyone had to operate for a couple of years?
1: Yeah, and you can feel, you know we all go on the road and we see each other in the same gyms and you know people are they love to complain and they love to oh they're all oh, i've been on the road for 12 days where are you doing what are you doing where are you staying how long you been you know the same conversations all the time right but there does seem to be a renewed energy um you know amongst front offices from being able to get out and about and and, and see these guys and evaluate them i mean i remember back to like the lamello draft right um and in the, even way back then, the mystery of a guy like that. And, and then over the last few years of just not having as many touch points um, of, of seeing these guys. And so I, I do think that there's a, a renewed sense of joy in this job. And um, listen, this is a good draft, man. Like, I, I think people generally like this draft. I don't think it as like, last year was all time, I think, if we look yeah. at, right? I mean, Jalen Green... <laughs> Um, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes going four. Yeah. uh, you know, I mean, he's going to be a franchise changer for the next yeah. decade plus, yep. you know, complete stud, um, Cade, Evan uh, down the line, uh, Herb yep. Jones, or, you know, Jose Alvarado, all these guys. Yeah. So you can feel people are excited to be back in the gym and like the, the right evaluation process is getting restored to some degree.
0: Who are going to be the one or two guys in the top? top 10 and one we've talked about the next 10 who's going to be under just a great deal of scrutiny who are people just maybe confused about isn't but just they don't have figured out yet and they're really trying to figure out yeah i think there's there's a few of them um one that comes
1: to mind most for me is is patrick baldwin this is a guy who is a highly highly touted recruit um you know i believe was potentially the number one player in his high school class yeah. at, at one point. Um, he played AAU with, with Jalen Johnson and, uh, you know, can really, really shoot the ball. He had great positional size, kind of like this versatile stretch four. He played on the under-19 under team with Jaden Ivey and Chet Holmgren. He wasn't great there, but we projected him as a potential top-10 lottery pick, and then he goes to play for his dad at, at Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and the season was a disaster. I mean, disaster. He's dealing with injuries, but shot 27% from three. You know, you go somewhere like that, and it's like you're supposed to be the guy, right? You're supposed to go get 18 a game and make a bunch of – he didn't really have those wow moments, you know? And so teams are trying to figure out, okay, is this the guy we thought was a top 10 pick? Or is this the guy who, you know, this is just who he is? And you look at what Memphis did with Zaire Williams, and I think this is why people are questioning – is it too small of a sample size, the, the, the college stuff? Because Zaire was not very good at Stanford. I mean, in fact, I went to eight to 10 of his games. And we liked him in high school. And he was dealing with some, you know, deaths in his family. And there were a lot of things going on. And with COVID, and maybe we didn't put enough weight on that. But he did not have a good season. He had a bad season. Um, and a lot of scouts and executives were not impressed. And when they took him 10th overall, I was shocked. And look at him now. I mean he was starting games in the playoffs, yeah. right? And so I think teams are starting to look a little bit further past like this one college season. Um, and I think Pat Baldwin is is kind of the poster boy for that. Is like, is he gonna be this top ten pick that we thought, this stretch four versatile guy, or is this just who he is and he doesn't play
0: great in important games? Well, we have got uh draft on June twenty third, we're so how we Over a month. Over a month. Yeah. Over a month away we'll be Breaking down a lot of these guys. We've got pro days coming here in the next week. Some of them are in Chicago. Some back in LA, and, and players starting to crisscross. And now with the draft order being able to, or the lottery order being able to, teams really are able now to start figuring out who their group of players is to bring in. Trade discussions now can mm-hmm. sort of take on some weight as we're as we're here in Chicago at pre-draft. Those are conversations happening in the gym. Uh, we got the combine going on. We're seeing had the G League select for a couple days, and then the combine players coming in. Guys like Jules Bernard from UCLA playing well. Uh, Beheim's here from Syracuse. Some different guys. So you know, we're seeing some guys trying to to go maybe from out of the draft into the draft, and some second round guys. Can they get into the first? And you know, we'll you know Thursday and Friday. We'll see some pretty good names here getting out and seeing. You know, you think some recent draft. Combine's Dante DiVincenzo yeah. is probably the most dramatic. I'm not a p- sure a player has imp- used the Combine to help himself as much as he did, right? That was yeah. like three years ago, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah. Christian Brown. That's this year's yeah. Dante DiVincenzo, I think, okay. in terms of the rise, potentially, 5-on-5. Five five.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot left here in Chicago at the Combine, a lot left between now, and we've got a lot of mock draft shows. We've got the draft, obviously, in Brooklyn. On the 23rd, we'll all be back there for that. So, Mike Schmitz and of course Jonathan Gaboni, ESPN's draft analyst, they'll be they'll be all over it. And uh, I know we'll be uh, we'll be spending a lot of time and and um, trying to trying to figure this puzzle out, Mike. Yeah, it's an uh, exact science, as
1: they say. Yep. But thankfully, we're still employed. Appreciate it, Wolf. Okay, you got it, Mike.